Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue in our study of Jesus' Galilean ministry, specifically through Mark's perspective, as he recorded it in Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. The Galilean ministry was a display of Jesus' divine authority and power. The only reasonable conclusion for those who actually witnessed it would be to conclude that he was indeed the divine Son of God, the promised Messiah. But sin makes men and women turn their eyes from the light and to willingly remain blind in the dark. After all, the only reasonable response is to acknowledge our sinfulness and bow down to him as Lord. But as we will continue to see, the vast majority of people are so compelled by their sin that they continue to shut their eyes and ears to the truth and who Jesus really is. If I were God... I would find that very frustrating, wouldn't you? But thank God, God is God, and His sovereign designs are never really ultimately frustrated. Our passage begins with the words, Jesus withdrew. Find out why He did as you listen in on today's slice of the message entitled, Frustrating Fame. Now here you have an implied example, if you will, of how to use the Word of God. I want you to think about what must have gone, out, gone through Matthew's mind on the human level, realizing the Spirit guided him, of course. But I want you to see how this worked. I don't think Matthew ran down to the synagogue, dug through the scrolls, unrolled the scroll of Isaiah in either Greek or in Hebrew, studied it, took notes, wrote it down, and then went back and wrote this part of the Gospel of Matthew. It's more likely that what we have here is Matthew quoting from memory. And it's most likely that the reason he remembered it so well is because it's quite likely that Jesus taught this to the disciples, explaining why he was doing what he was doing uh, along the way. So let me give you a little personal application that you can take along with you. From Matthew's example, I want you to think in terms of how you handle and study and use the Word of God. Now, it's important to know it. And, yes, committing it to memory, that's a good thing. But I would rather you memorize one verse of the Bible and know what it means in its context and how to apply it to your life than that you memorize a hundred verses and not understand them and not know where they come from. So I want to give you a a little caution, if you will. There are many well intended Bible memory programs, and I'm not going to fault anybody for memorizing the Bible, but especially some for children 
where there's a great emphasis upon and reward for memorizing Bible verses. But it pains me when there's more emphasis on getting the verse word perfect in a certain translation than on knowing what the verse means in the context of the book from which it comes. Do you see the point? Don't memorize Bible verses like good luck charms. Don't don't think of reading your Bible like opening up a series of quotations from fortune cookies. Uh, Each one of these was written to specific people in a specific time, in a specific place, for a specific reason. That's the meaning of a text. Now, it's there's a balance here. Of course it's worth memorizing it. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. There, that's a verse I've memorized. Okay? Because that is how we understand the importance of the Bible in in general. But read and savor the Scriptures until they fill your heart and mind and affect the way you live. I'd rather you be able to explain to me what a passage means than merely be able to quote it word for word, like a robot. Do you see the balance? Uh, As a new Christian, I had a a Bible that was uh, given to me. It was a, uh, a study version. It was in kind of the early days of the study Bible being cool. Um, it was based on the King James Version, and that was all that, uh, that was available to me. And I memorized a number of verses. I was encouraged to memorize. I actually did a project with my college pastor, and I memorized the whole book of James in that version. Well, I entered seminary four years after I became a, a believer, and That was right at the time that the New American Standard Bible was released, and I made the switch. I did not just intuitively conjugate verbs in Elizabethan English. I didn't know the the difference between thee and thou and thither and whither and Humpty Dumpty and anything else uh, along the way. So I I had memorized, and and it was not without profit. don't, Don't get me wrong there. But... Now I got the New American Standard Bible, and the Elizabethan English was gone, and uh, I made the switch, and I, and I memorized more verses. And then in seminary, I took Greek, and I took Hebrew, and I was forced to translate portions of both Old and New Testament, and uh, Marcia will verify this. I went through a period of time when I would freeze up and get my tang tangled every time that I would try to quote a verse from memory. Because I wanted to get it right, but it would come out usually about a third longer than it was in any version because I would spew forth the King James Harris Standard American perversion of it. And finally I realized it's not the word perfection that matters. It's the meaning that matters. The words are extremely important, but you have to understand what it means in its context. Well, when I switched to trying to understand the flow of the meaning of chapters and books of the Bible, instead of making sure I got specific verses just right, I found my understanding increased dramatically. 
And you know, it, it might even be more valuable uh, for you to know where to find something than to be able to quote it perfectly. I mean, if you need to know about where, you know, Jesus humbled himself and, and, and emptied himself, you know, remember Philippians 2. Yes, you can remember the words if you want to. Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus who, though he, and you can go on and on, you can memorize the whole thing. Yes, I memorize uh, specific verses, key verses as I go, but only after I've read their context many, many times. Well, Matthew, I think, was doing that. I think he'd heard Jesus talk about what Isaiah meant about his special servant, and he's saying, I'm that one. I'm the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am God the Son. So as we look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 through 21, I want you to see Matthew preaching Isaiah, preaching Jesus, if you will. So come with me. Matthew 12 and verse 18. Behold, My servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Now, that's a quote from Isaiah 42. As in the case with many prophecies, you'll notice that the format is poetry. One of the reasons why I stick to the New America Standard Bible is because they've been very careful and helpful in formatting things. And when they uh, translate and uh, and format a portion of God's Word that is poetry, they they make it look like poetry. They put it line by line by line. Now, translating poetry from one language to another, you lose the rhythm, you lose the meter, you lose the rhyme, but. They keep it as poetry because that's very significant. The main characteristic of Hebrew poetry is parallelism. One line somehow parallels another, either contrasting, reiterating, adding to, sometimes showing it, stating it one direction in this line and the backwards in the next line, but always in parallelism. Something else that I Uh, love about the translation that we use from the pulpit here is that when they publish an Old Testament quote in the New Testament, they put it in all caps. That doesn't mean because they're shouting at you. This is not a text message, okay? Uh, It is because they're, they're showing you this is an Old Testament passage being cited in the New Testament. Now, in this case, it speaks of my servant, first person possessive pronoun, whom I have chosen. The speaker here, the I, is Elohim, God. He's identified that way way back in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, where this huge discourse in Isaiah begins, and it describes God's special servant. In the context of Isaiah, the one who is called my servant is the one whom God the Father promises to send as the deliverer to the world. Later in chapters 52 and 53, Isaiah is going to describe in detail the sufferings of this servant of his who will bear the sins of mankind. Now, I said the words are important too, not just the meaning. I mean, you have to understand the meaning, but uh, don't go taking the words my servant 
and say, well, every time I see mine servant, that refers to Jesus. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.